Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, guys, I've cooked up something amazing with my friend Natalie Y. Beavers, founder of Angels of Epilepsy, and it's all yours for free now. Go to my website at uninvisiblepod.com and download your free ebook called Hacking Healthcare, a resource guide Natalie and I have compiled using not only our experiences in the healthcare system, but also with the assistance of other patient leaders who have added their two cents. From a message of empowerment to notes on navigating health insurance and your doctor's visit, this is an invaluable guide intended to make healthcare more approachable and to give you the tools you need to succeed. This resource has been incredibly eye-opening and important to us, and we hope that with it, you will see real results and improve your experience in the system. Once more, that's a free download of Hacking Healthcare at uninvisiblepod.com. Go check it out, guys. Thank you. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with a very special guest, Dr. Micah Yu, who you might also know as My Autoimmune MD on social media. Dr. Yu is an integrative rheumatologist. He incorporates a complementary medicine with traditional rheumatology. He's continuing study in integrative medicine as well, and is also taking courses through the Institute for Functional Medicine. So he is all over it. He's also going to talk to us um, not only about life as a specialist of Spoonies for Spoonies, right? But also as someone who lives with his own autoimmune disorder, he's got spondyloarthritis. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the COVID vaccine, which I know a lot of us have questions about. So Dr. Yu, thank you so much for joining us. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me on your show, Lauren. I'm so honored to be on the show. Um, And and I'm glad that we can connect um, not only with you, but also with your audience, yeah. A bunch of spoonies. Um, I connect with them very well because I'm a patient myself. It's well, we're all in the club together, you know. It's uh, so it's pretty awesome. I mean, I feel like I've hit the jackpot finding a doctor who is also a spoonie who's practicing integrative <laughs> rheumatology. It's sort of like, are you kidding? This is what we've all been asking for. So, <laughs> oh, thank you. So, I, I, I'm just trying yeah. to, you know, be the doctor that I've always wanted to see. So, yeah, well, and that's so exciting. So let's let's start at the top of the story here. Can you tell us about your practice and your personal connection to invisible chronic illness? Yeah, so um, I'm currently have my own private practice in Newport Beach, California called Dr. Lifestyle. Um, and you, you'll, you can go to the link in the show notes later on. But yeah, we'll link it, to it. It's a practice that me and my wife started. My wife is also a family medicine doctor who had IBS, um, who had uh, ADHD herself. Um, so she's um, board certified family medicine, also um, certified in lifestyle medicine as well as, as am I. So wow. lifestyle medicine is centered around five pillars, um, stress, sleep, um, 
exercise, nutrition, uh, avoiding uh, risky substances, and having healthy relationships. So that's what American mm. lifestyle medicine is all about. I mean, it's really integrative and functional medicine rolled into one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, that lifestyle medicine is the foundation to functional medicine, to integrative medicine. But um, we felt that we couldn't work inside a traditional healthcare system. Um, we had to get out. We felt like we would have been doing our patients a disservice and we couldn't fly and have the freedom to help our patients the way we want to. That's why we created our own prior practice in California. And it really is um, the work from our own personal experiences as patients ourselves. And um, just if you wanted, I can talk about how it all started back in high school. I mean, I'd love to know about this. Tell us yeah. from the very beginning. Like, I want to know about your practice and how that has manifested, but also how it's intersected with your own diagnosis journey. Yeah, so we can, um, let me start from the beginning, uh, from when all the pain started until um, the creation of the clinic. So I went on a high protein diet, um, the Atkins diet back in high school. And um, I was overweight at the time. I was like 160 pounds. I'm short. I'm only 5'5". Five, five. So um, <laughs> I was pretty overweight. And I was a football player. But after football, I wanted to lose weight. So I went on the Atkins diet. I lost 30 pounds. And I got stronger. I got the results. But I ended up getting a severe case of gout overnight. Um, gout is a um, disease um, that affects the joint. It's an arthritis disease. And you typically get pain in a big toe and it's a manifestation of overproduction of uric acid typically. Um, that's where it's from. It's not- so it often, Does it often come from a high protein diet? It can, uh, but you can have a normal, you don't have to have a high um, uric acid level to get gout. Um, so that's, that's what's interesting about it. Uh, but it's not an autoimmune disease, but it is arthritis. And I had that starting in high school and then I got it in college still. I kept flaring. I didn't watch my diet. I, didn't, I drank alcohol. I had fun in college. So, you know, and then I got my weights into medical school. And then during medical school and right before medical school is when my disease started transforming. No longer did I have pain in maybe just one joint or two joints. I started getting pain in different joints, five joints at a time. My TMJ, my wrists, my elbows, my fingers, knees, ankles, toes, you name it, um, morning stiffness, unable to eat a couple weeks in a row because my TMJs would be so inflamed, I wouldn't be able to open it. So I'll be wow. able to drink water, eat yogurt or something soft. Um, sometimes I would limp to school. Um, I would sometimes get feverish from the um, pain because you have inflammation. And um, my dad is a family medicine doctor. So he first diagnosed with gout. Um, but when I started transforming, I went to different rheumatologists in Chicago, where my medical school was, and they couldn't really figure me out. Um, I had the high inflammatory markers of C-reactive protein and ESR. They tested me all autoimmune diseases. They said, you know what? We don't know what you have. Your inflammatory markers are positive. You have gout, and but your autoimmune disease antibodies are negative. Um, maybe we just have to see how you progress over the years. No talk of diet. Um, there rarely they, is. Yeah, there rarely is. And I was on medication for gout, of course, all these years. Um, I took NSAIDs, you know, ibuprofen. Um, but that was pretty much it. And I just lived with it. I flared one every once every two months or once a month. Uh, I would and throughout medical school, too. Throughout medical school, it was horrible. I would sometimes take tests, um, flaring. Um, you have wow. No um, I have, how did you do that? Like, how do you get through medical school when you're sick? 
Yeah. So, I mean, you're in and I, I, I worked really hard to get in and you have no choice, but to get through it. Um, yeah, you just have to push. You just have to push either you get through it or you drop out and you're in debt. Like half yeah. in debt. So, um, and this was my dream. I was in my dream school, my dream job. Um, so you just do it. Um, and in life, people go through different things. Everyone has hardships. That was my yeah. hardship. Uh, this is, but I mean, this is a common story, right? And that it, it happens for people that that disease starts manifesting in high school or college. We hear this all the time on the show, and also that you know when you don't know any better, you push through it. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, <laughs> but being so stubborn uh, back then, even though it was transforming, I didn't seek care till later on from a rheumatologist um, right. during medical school. And the first and second years weren't that bad. It was just test taking going to anatomy lab. Um, but third and fourth year was when it got more rough because I couldn't stay at home any longer. I had to go into the hospital, see patients as a student. Um, so even flared, I went in. Um, and then during residency was when it got pretty tough because there you are a doctor now. You are full licensed MD working 80 hours a week. So I remember clearly I would go to the ICU during my first year of residency and I was limping to work um i couldn't lift my leg up the arthritis was in my hip and i literally had to lift my left leg with both hands to get in the car to get out of the car because it was so painful and i would limp and we were round for you know you round i see for a couple hours you stand so i mean i went there they gave me a chair to sit and we just went to do our thing um and that's how i got through it but luckily there at my residency at Loma Linda University in Southern California, uh, they diagnosed me with spondyloarthritis there at the rheumatology department. Wow. And that's where I did my fellowship in rheumatology as well. Did that but also I, draw you into rheumatology because you were going through something? Yeah. yeah. So once I got into medical school, I, I knew I wanted to do rheumatology because of my disease. Uh, and I like being challenged. I like learning and rheumatology was one of the most difficult subjects to me. It's because rheumatology centered on immunology and it was really complicated, um, but that drew me to it as well. I wanted mm. to overcome the complexity of it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I went to rheumatology at Loma University, but again, no talk of diet, no talk of lifestyle, just mental just, health support for it or no, 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 no mental health support. Here's your diagnosis. Here's your meds. Um, we're yeah. for you um, because um, you're in our program, um, very supportive mm. there, but diet, lifestyle, you don't get taught that stuff during medical school. Um, even if you do, you learn about vitamin C deficiency, which you don't see in America. So it's not the fact that they didn't want to te- um, teach me about diet from my doctors is that they didn't know they were never taught. So, um, who's, they're not at fault. Uh, it's just the way the system is built. It's not conducive to, mm chronic patient pain patients and yet there are more and more chronic pain patients and chronic disease patients coming through the system too exactly um Mm. a recent study um showed that in the world seven percent the rates of autoimmune disease are rising seven percent a year that's huge so that's including endocrine neurology rheumatology gi Um, wow and i mean that's we know that a lot of that is partially environmental but a lot of it is also the fact that we're now aware of so many more diseases and open to diagnosing so many more of them, right? 
Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like a double-edged sword, that one. Yeah, double-edged sword. So it's unfortunate, but um, like you said, it's an environment. It's also our genetics and um, it's, it's not good because it is exploding. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, cause you're the canary in the coal mine. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it, it's, uh, I, I used to see it as a curse. Uh, I'm like, why do I have this? Just like all of us, why do I have this disease? Um, why me? But now I'm using it to my advantage. Um, and I haven't talked about my journey and overcoming this disease. So I, so my wife, as, as I told you earlier, she's a um, medical doctor in family medicine. She got introduced to lifestyle medicine um, from the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And I told you the pillars of nutrition, lifestyle, stress, all that stuff. So she got into it. It centers around whole food plant-based nutrition. That's what American College of Lifestyle Medicine promotes. So she started getting into it, learning about it. And she started cooking. I remember distinctly during Thanksgiving of um, my third year of residency, she cooked me a whole food plant-based meal. I was like, what is this? It's pretty much vegan food without processed food. I can't take it. But, you know, six months later, I started reading some books on um, plant-based diets. I watched some documentaries, Forks Over Knives. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's on Netflix. Say say the name of it again. Forks Over Knives. Forks Over Knives, yeah. Yeah, it's on Netflix. So you know what? I gave whole food plant-based diet a shot. In two months, my arthritis went away. (gasps) My inflammatory markers, one of C-reactive protein went negative after being positive for 10 years. So I was like, this is a miracle because we don't talk about this in uh, med school or residency throughout my trainings. And it also sounds like this is a, like, that's the kind of reaction you expect to have from a pill, from a medication. Exactly. But, but I didn't want a pill Um, because you know what I said, my pain is not that bad. I'll take a pill when I start seeing uh, x-ray damages on my Mm. joints. Um, Cause I'm a doctor. So I was able to monitor myself with my boss so I, I was like, I don't want to pill. There's side effects, just like many other patients, your audience, they don't want to take pills. I didn't want to take pills. Even though I had pain, I noticed there was a correlation with food. I just didn't know what the correlation was. And I didn't know how to investigate that. There's so much information on the internet. There's so much misinformation on there yeah. that um, I didn't even know where to begin. But luckily I found my answer. So I'm using that to really um, educate the world. Um, and I feel like this is my life's work. And that's where integrated medicine, functional medicine comes into play as well, because lifestyle medicine is just a foundation. I learned about integra- integrated medicine during my fourth year of medical school um, from wow. an interview trail from someone else. And each of these integrative complementary medicine fields has something different to offer. Integrated medicine, uh, which I'm taking now at University of Arizona with Andrew Weil, it's a two-year program. And you learn about uh, Chinese medicine, you learn about acupuncture, Ayurveda, botanical medicine, supplements, aromatherapy, mind-body medicine. So that's what it offers. And functional medicine, it offers, you know, you learn about um, environmental toxins, um, but the integrated medicine also teaches about that. You learn about leaky gut, integrated medicine also talks about that. Just functional medicine talks about different things but not all of it. It's always evidence-based. So I'm trying to filter out what's real and what's not. Um, so I feel yeah. like there's value in every field and I can use it to my advantage to help my patients. They're just extra tools in the toolbox. So that's why I created our prior practice because nowhere can I work for somebody in this style. And I spend an hour with my new patients or even more. Love that. And you have to spend that amount of time to educate patients. 
and my wife does the same thing in her practice as well. So here I am on your podcast, um, living the dream of, yeah. you know, um, trying to heal the world and try to figure this all out with science. Yeah. I love that. And it's so exciting to meet someone like you, who's walking the walk and talking the talk and literally knows what it's like for your patients. And I'm also curious because you mentioned um, before we started the interview that you're also working one night a week right now at a local hospital dealing with COVID yeah, patients. Yes. So you're already someone who's in the high risk category, yeah. but this changing the world thing is no joke to you. So you're going and, and dealing with these patients and you've talked a lot about COVID and the vaccine. And I wonder if you could talk to us about that work and how it's intersected with what you're doing. Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up. So I, I work two nights a week at- Oh, sorry, a, two nights, there we yeah, go. Yeah, <laughs> no, one, two, it doesn't matter. Yeah, two, two nights a week, uh, this, is a, this is a number. So yeah, two nights a week at a, a moonlight at a local hospital. And I do admit, uh, I'm a nocturnist there. So I, I see patients that come through the door. Um, the ER thinks that this patient needs to be admitted. So I'm the one that admits them. And nowadays it's mostly COVID. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Um, it sucks seeing all these patients coming through the door. We were slammed in California over the past month or two, as you know, it, it was a very high, high stress time for all the hospitals, very overwhelming, but it's getting better now. And I see patients coming in with blood clots. And when you get COVID, you're at higher risk for blood clots. When you get COVID, um, you do have higher risk of getting, uh, um, needing oxygen, being more short of breath, which is different from the flu. The flu, you don't usually get put on oxygen no matter what age you're at. But you, you can die from flu. I've seen that before. But it's usually in patients that are at higher risk or they're more elderly. In the COVID, I, I, I've been seeing strokes, blood clots, uh, shortness of breath. Some patients get heart attacks. And the post-COVID syndrome is no joke. Uh, so yeah, that's the thing that scares me the most. Yeah, that scares me too. Yeah. So post-COVID syndrome comprises of brain fog, muscle aches, joint pain, um, chronic fatigue. It's um, the new MECFS. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, so also some people get um, dysautonomia, so heart rate jumps up, like something like POTS syndrome. Um, so heart rate jumps up all the time. Tech, it's called tachycardia, uh, scientific terms. So that's what I'm seeing. I, I'm, you can get new onset autoimmune disease from COVID. I, I, I've been seeing that I work one day a week at a county hospital as a regular rheumatologist. And I do have patients with new onset rheumatoid arthritis from after getting COVID. And I, I've seen new onset lupus from getting COVID as well. So this is very real. I know people are scared of the vaccine, but getting the COVID itself is very scary also. Yeah. Are these people who had perhaps a genetic predisposition to these autoimmune conditions or is it sort of a spontaneous production of, mm -hmm. you know, cells that has actually created the autoimmune capacity in their bodies? That's a great question, Lauren. So what we do know in autoimmune disease is that it's half genetics and half environment. So you have to have the genetic predisposition to get autoimmune disease, um, no matter what the cause is from, whether it's from a virus or from your diet um, or from stress, or else we'd all be 100% having autoimmune disease if that wasn't the case. Yeah. So with these patients who are getting autoimmune disease from COVID, there is predisposition um, pre from genetics. Um, so that's a great question. Uh, that's a question I get a lot. 
Yeah. I mean, that's one of those things to understand that like anyone who's maybe had COVID who's listening or, um, you know, is, is perfectly well and maybe doesn't have the genetic predisposition, you may be at a lower risk of developing these kinds of autoimmune conditions, but it doesn't change the fact that you're still at risk for long COVID or this post COVID syndrome that you're talking about. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Not, I mean, most of us will be fine when we get COVID. Most of us will be asymptomatic. Some of us will get flu-like symptoms. The, the small portion of us will get something serious. But um, that small portion um, that, um, that does get something serious, you're going to have to go through rehab and all that stuff. Um, and the small portion of us that do get flu-like symptoms, some of us will get um, the post-COVID syndrome also. So it, you just can't look at the survival rate to figure out what's going on with COVID. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about COVID, let's, let's get into the vaccine. Cause I know yeah. you've had the vaccine mm-hmm. and what do we know about the COVID vaccines that are currently on the market? Like one of the questions that comes up a lot, and I know you're going to debunk this myth for us right away is how thoroughly have they been tested? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, it, it's the, there's a couple versions now on the market. Um, I don't know about the ones in Asia. I haven't um, investigated that too much, but the ones in America are the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine and they're the mRNA vaccine. There's another one coming out from Johnson Johnson under um, their biotech company, uh, Janssen, um, which makes a lot of rheumatology drugs. And they have the adenovirus um, vaccine um, and also, um, the AstraZeneca one in Europe now, they also use the um, adenovirus variant. So we'll, we'll talk about the differences. Yeah. Can you tell us what that means? mRNA, adenovirus, what do these things mean? Yeah. So, um, so, so the mRNA virus, it's been um, studied for over 10 years now, um, but it wasn't quite successful all these years. And so it's been, you know, it, it's research takes time. Okay. In the very beginning, things don't work out. So it takes time. It takes time. And people are saying it hasn't been studied in animals. It did get studied in animals. Um, and people say, oh, we're guinea pigs. You know what? We're not guinea pigs. It got studied um, in humans already, phase one, phase two, phase three. And different phases mean different things. So um, phase three, they usually uh, do um, a test group versus a placebo group. That's what um, phase three is. And it was in the New England Journal of Medicine. It was published. There were over 40,000 participants in, I think, the Pfizer one and over 30,000 in Moderna. I might mix them up. But, I mean, the data is right there. Um, that's why you see a lot of doctors were taking it because we see the data. We understand the data. Um, and both of them had around a 94 95% success, success rate. Um, so if you look at the data, for example, the Pfizer, in the first couple of weeks uh, or the first week, you'll see that both the placebo and the vaccine itself, the people that got both, they both had um, still the same amount of COVID infectivity, okay? But over time, you'll see that the placebo group and the actual vaccinated group start branching off. The vaccinated group get less COVID and the placebo groups are still getting the COVID infection. Mm. But just because you get the COVID vaccine does not make you 100% immune to COVID. It just gives you a strong, it's like you're getting the flu vaccine. Just because you get the flu vaccine doesn't mean you're not going to get the flu. There's always a chance. But there's also a distinction there, isn't there, that especially with mRNA, right? Mm -hmm. That like with the flu vaccine, you're getting a bit of flu. 
and that's yeah. building your immunity. But mRNA is something totally different, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so the flu vaccine is um, a dead vaccine. So you're getting the coating of what the flu looks like, and your body sees that. And it, uh, next time it sees that coating again with the real flu, it'll attack it with a stronger army. So your immune system is an army. So what the mRNA is, it's um, it's like a little genetic code that um, tells your body to do things. So a myth. Um, that is widespread on the internet is that, oh, you're going to get this mRNA, it's going to alter your DNA and your genetic. Oh, no, it's it not. <laughs> yeah, that's not the way it works. So right now, so the mRNA is um, is in a little something called um, nanoparticle. So, and that when it, so you, you get your injection and the mRNA goes into um, your body and it sees your healthy cells and the mRNA gets, goes inside your healthy cell. And then it tells your body's um, machinery um, to generate proteins. And that mRNA is that little code from the spike protein. The spike protein is what the COVID-19 virus uses to attach itself to your healthy cells, to hijack your body's DNA, to replicate more COVID, um, COVID um, viruses. Okay, and that's where it takes over and destroys your body, uh, potentially. Mm. So what the mRNA? Yeah, so COVID does, can change your DNA. Yeah, COVID. But mRNA, mRNA can't. <laughs> yeah. So, so COVID hijacks your um, your cells to create more COVID viruses. Okay, that's what it does. That's what a lot of viruses do. Uh, it's called a viral load when it goes higher and higher. So the mRNA is a piece of the spike protein that the researchers have discovered what piece of the DNA is, has the spike protein and they encode that and they take it and they put it into your cell. Okay. And they put it in your cell, they tell your body to create the spike protein, but there's no virus in it. It's a spike proteins. And they, and your cells show that spike protein on the receptors on the surface of the cell and your ant and your T cells, your immune system recognizes that your T cells, B cells, and they see, and they start generating antibodies against that spike protein. So your army in the future, when it sees that um, spike protein from the actual COVID, it's primed, ready to go to destroy the COVID um, virus itself. So that's an important thing for people to know as well is that you can get the vaccine, but it doesn't mean that you can't get COVID. You might still get COVID, but you're more prepared to fight it. So your yes. chances of survival are higher essentially. Yes, yes, that's true. Um, but you know, there, there are side effects with vaccines. Um, there are side effects with the COVID vaccine. So, I mean, based on the studies out there, the COVID vaccine um, side effects were very minor. Most people got maybe some fatigue, headaches, um, some joint pain, muscle pain, shoulder short pain. Term, short term. Short term, a couple of days, less than one to 2% of participants got it. I got side effects. I got um, shoulder pain. Um, the first shot, I had less side effects to shoulder pain. The second shot was what really did me in. I got shoulder pain. That's what I'm hearing. Really tired. Mm -hmm. And I also got um, some congestion. But it's your immune, you expect some immune response because your body has seen it once already. So it's ready to go and fight it again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'm so glad that you're getting vaccinated as well, because you're on the front line with these patients. Mm -hmm. I know we were talking about, we've sort of gone on, onto a million topics because it's so fascinating, but, um, you know, the the trials here, you know, has this thing been researched enough? Um, and it seems that the consensus that I've been 
sort of researching myself, right, through evidence-based resources, mm-hmm. um, appears to be that, you know, we're hearing that, well, it's in phase four and it's being released to the public, but that it, it's actually that this fast tracking is the medical institution coming together to fight this global pandemic. And it's mm-hmm. no faster or slower than any regular research phase. Is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, after phase three is when um, we start, you know, using these drugs. So um, you don't have to always go through phase four, but this was um, FDA um, just fast track this because we need it. It's a pandemic. You're, usually drugs, vaccines take years. Like you're not, we're not going to wait years. We already have the results already. It's, it was published already. Um, so you don't have to be extra, extra safe and requiring more studies, like thousands more studies of the same thing. Um, so it's, it, it went through the regular phases a regular drug or vaccine would go through. Absolutely. And then what about this mRNA and like these, these different approaches to vaccination that you were talking mm-hmm. about earlier? So you've explained mRNA to us. What's the other one? Adeno? Is that, yeah, adenovirus is just another like um, a, a virus that can cause colds. And uh, what they did for the AstraZeneca and the one that's coming out from Janssen, um, AstraZeneca is being used in India and Europe now. So what it does is it's very similar as they take the DNA from adenovirus, but they found a way where that part of that DNA um, can sh- um, have a spike protein as well. So they push that into um, your body when they inject it, it goes inside the cell and that DNA um, tells your um, cell to create mRNA and the mRNA will create that protein, which shows a spike protein on the receptors and the same process again, yeah. your army fights, uh, sees that spike protein, generates antibodies. So it's primed and ready to go and when it sees the actual COVID um, virus next time. It can fight it. I mean, that's this is so fascinating because it's like, you know, it's, it's like prep work you do before you cook or, or, you know, the training that you do before you run the marathon. Like this is like the, the stuff that sets you up for success when, mm-hmm. and if it does happen to you, mm-hmm. um, you talk to us about receiving the COVID vaccine. I, I'm curious as well about whether you're recommending the vaccine to patients. Cause you've got patients who are all over the map in terms of their personal risk. So mm-hmm. what does that look like for you, especially with autoimmune patients? Cause this is something where like, is the information out there for autoimmune disease patients, you know, and the safety and efficacy of the vaccines? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, the studies did not study um, patients. Um, patients that had autoimmune disease that are pregnant were excluded from the studies. Um, patients that were children, like under 16, under 18 for uh, the Moderna and Pfizer, they were excluded also from the study. So we don't have data on patients with autoimmune disease, as spoonies, or patients with um, using injectable medications. However, um, I tell my patients still get the vaccine um, because getting COVID. Um, That's I mean, like it's worse. I mean, that's yeah, really what I mean, we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, chances are nothing's going to happen to you, right? Um, you're going to get the va- virus and it's like getting the flu. You, you, chances are nothing's going to happen to you. But I mean, if something does happen to you, like people, have, I've had followers and patients who have, um, I've seen or messaged me saying that they flared from getting the actual COVID virus itself. Ooh, not worth it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are followers that tell me they, they did flare from the vaccine itself. Um, so it's a double-edged sword. And I have people asking me, you know what, can I get um, autoimmune disease from the vaccine? I'm like, that's a possibility because there's something called Asia syndrome, uh, which was discovered in 2011. Um, so you can get autoimmune disease from vaccines. 
Okay. Wow. But oh, from any vaccine, not just this vaccine. Yeah, from any vaccine, flu vaccine, hepatitis vaccine. It's rare. It's not the benefits of vaccines always outweigh the risk. Um, but it is a possible very low chance. Um, but that's something to be aware of. But the question is, do you want to get the actual COVID or do you want to and risk it or do you want to get the COVID vaccine and protect yourself? And I chose a letter. I, I want the COVID vaccine. Um, yeah. Well, you're around those patients too. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And chances something, something happened to me is um, very low. So you're recommending it to all your patients across the board. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter yeah. about their, whether they're more high risk or, you know, have more severe levels of disease. You're just. Yeah. Well, it. I mean, if they're flaring, definitely not. I, I, they, I, I, the ones I recommend to you, they're in remission mm-hmm. or, or very close to, or they're not actively like flaring. Little pain here right. and there is fine. Um, but we, all of us are very anxious and waiting for the data to come out on autoimmune disease patients. And the American yeah. College of Rheumatology will um, put out a statement sometime this quarter um, talking about um, patients on uh, these uh, medications with um, aspoonies. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fascinating because a lot of us are sort of waiting to see mm-hmm. what, you know, the American College of Rheumatology will say about this. Um, and, you know, it makes me wonder about, especially because the vaccine is not available to everyone yet, you know, that's, that's one factor, but also, you know, for people who are um, maybe working in hospitals, maybe not necessarily doctors, but have autoimmune disease and are working in the health field or, you know, exposed to people who haven't maybe been as uh, circumspect about, you know, preventing the disease and things like that. I guess it, it really is, everyone can look at it on a case by case basis, but ultimately what we're saying here is that getting COVID is far worse and the risks are higher than the short-term side effects and the very low risk of additional complications from any of these vaccines. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you hit it on the spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I love that you've been so like open with everyone about this information and gone and gotten the vaccine yourself and, and, you know, explained to people what you've been through with it, you know, Mm -hmm. um, to sort of pivot back to your work, because I, I feel like, you know, we've stayed away from COVID content on this podcast for a reason, because we're inundated with it, right? And like, this yeah. is the first time we're really addressing it, because this is something that's really important to our community. But uh, I'd like to know a little bit more about um, your work and how you're dealing with patients in particular, because as you know, by the time a lot of patients get to you, they've been gaslit. They've been told they're hypochondriacs, that it's all in their head. You know, they've been told that the tests don't show anything and they're probably shuttled from specialist to specialist. They're lucky if they end up with you first, right? You know, so does it make a difference in terms of the way that you, that you show them a certain kind of bedside manner you know, like, are you super aware of that in terms of dealing with your patients and offering like additional empathy? I know you mentioned that you spend at least an hour with new patients, which is pretty exceptional. So yeah. like, what does that look like for you? Yeah. So um, when patients tell me they have pain, I tell them that I understand your pain. Does it feel achy? Does it feel um, like this? Does it feel like that? Because that's the way I feel. That's how I talk to them. Um, and I mean, I can empathize, like when they tell me, oh, I have this pain. I was like, I know exactly how you feel. Um, So it's very, very easy to talk to patients. Um, And I tell, you know, there's patients who come to me that I'm shutting around, that doctors don't hear them. 
but I understand that, you know, these patients, there is something going on. It's not all in their head. It's just that the doctor doesn't understand or that our scope of training hasn't allowed us to find us find a diagnosis. And mm. there's so much at play here, gut microbiome, the environment. Um, so all these aspects, um, psych trauma, all these things have to explore that can contribute to the current manifestation of the patient's problem. Um, and I am seeing patients all over the US now because of this. I have 15 state licenses, I'm getting more. And wow. because there's no one that's practicing like I do. So I'm trying to make myself available to these patients. Amazing. So are you also offering all that testing? Like you, you can set patients up with like gut microbiome testing and, and nutrition and and mental health support. I do. I do all that. So, um, I treat patients in New Jersey, the same way they'd be sitting in my office. I can do blood tests. I can do imaging. I could give meds, um, and do all the questioning. Um, it's the same way it's covered by insurance. I don't do the gut microbiome testing because I don't need to. All autoimmune disease patients have a disrupted gut microbiome. So I yeah. already know how to treat them already. There's no, to me, there's no, um, I don't need to waste the patient's money by getting a gut microbiome test. So mm-hmm. I don't do too much specialized testing. It's available to me, but I do what's most obvious and what's most um, cost-effective for the patient. That's really smart. Yeah, that's wonderful. And then are you also like referring out to psychologists and, you know, therapists and things if people mm-hmm. need that? Yeah, so what's support? exciting is my um, my wife is also psychiatry trained. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. So she did. Come on, her you first... two are like hashtag goals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so she she did her one year fellowship in psychiatry. Um, so I, I do have patients who are working with both her and I, um, autoimmune disease patients. They need, it's so hard to find a therapist these days. So, and they need that extra TLC because she does like mind-body medicine. She can manage the medication. So I ship them to her. Um, I, I'm still trying to find therapists. I have one or two, but they're usually booked. So if you have any resources for me, I'm trying to collect oh, a pool of different therapists. I've got res- have I got resources for you? <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, I, I need to create a uh, resource guide for patients. And I'm creating, I'm, my website's going to come up, myautoimmunemd.com. I'm going to house, it's going to be a home for a lot of us spoonies. I'm just talking about both the integrated part, but also about the um, traditional part as well. Because I feel like there's no side that's good or bad. It's just, Mm. there's tools in the toolbox for people. Yeah, I love that. So let's talk. We've got a few minutes left and I want to talk about the healthcare system because we're Mm -hmm. touching on it here and there. And I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. You know, you mentioned that there's no right or wrong way. It's tools in the toolbox, but what are your thoughts about the healthcare system and how it's working for doctors and patients and, and helping foster that care relationship and, and how it's working against that relationship as well. What are the, the advantages and disadvantages of this health insurance and, and healthcare system that we have here in the U.S. Right. So, I mean, let's talk about the good stuff first. So the good is that um, the healthcare system is giving patients access to see a doctor um, when they're sick. They can see somebody when they're really sick. They can go to the hospital, go to the ER. Uh, so that's what's good about it. The bad part is doctors are overwhelmed. Um, doctors don't have time to see um, patients for an hour. Um especially when you're at universities or at a county hospital, you don't have that time. One doctor is managing sometimes thousands of patients at one time. Your doctor doesn't have time to respond to you after you see them 
and they email you sometimes they don't have time to email you back because they have like 20 other things on their plate they got families to go home to as well so it's it's of it's unfortunately the system's broken and even if you're really sick you can't even reach your doctor i i've i've been through this um as a doctor i i don't sometimes don't have time even when i was in training to get back to the patient and it's a for-profit system so your insurances are the ones that are really profiting from this not your doctors your doctors are salary usually okay mm. they can see one patient they can see a thousand patients they get paid the same usually um, but then and they're graduating medical school with mountains of debt. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so it's really the insurance companies that are profiting off of this and you're paying what, $500, $600 a month. But at the same time, when you see your doctor, let's say you go out of network, you're paying extra when you go to the hospital and you can't choose your doctor. Sometimes your specialist that comes sees you. So they're out of network. So you get billed extra, um, and really it's, and sometimes you, they, you want a certain medication. You can't get that medication, even if it's the newest one or the best one, because the insurances want you to go to the cheapest one first and do a stepwise process. The even fail though first doesn't really work. Yeah. Um, they want you to fail it first. So it, by the time you actually get to the one that works for you, it's probably a half a year, a year already. And um, you're extremely sick. So this system is really broken. Um, that's why I am out on my own um, because I get to practice the way I want to. Um, and what does get, that mean though? Does that mean that you're working outside of the health, uh, the insurance system? Cause you mentioned yeah. that like you get tests covered by insurance, but it sounds yeah. like it means like your in-office fees are then separate. Exactly. So I don't take insurance in my office. The only thing I take is Medicare. Um, so I, I'm private pay, but I, all the tests and imaging and medications, they go through the insurance for the patients. So the only time they're paying me is to see me literally. Right. Time. I mean, what about patients who need financial support to access care at the level that you're able to provide it? You know, are you helping patients find pathways to fund that or, you know, yeah. are you able to offer sliding scale for people? Cause it's, it's hard. Like this, this, those of us who are living with the burden of chronic disease are also living with mountains of debt. Right. So, cause you have to fail first in so many instances. Right. So what does that look like for you? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, that's one I haven't explored yet. Um, my fees are set. I just started, I literally opened my doors this past November. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. So yeah, congrats. I, I, I haven't, yeah, I haven't explored that sliding scale yet. Um, but I do tell people that do want to see me, I'm like, well, you know what? I'm going to be coming out with courses in the future. I am offering free advice on social media all the time. All the time. Yeah, all the time. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, right now, you're not able to get my one-on-one opinion, but mm. uh, I will be coming out with things in the future. I will be coming out with, you know, courses, guides that you can purchase, or my website will have blogs on there. It's all free. Um, my social media posts are free. So you can go by that, and you can always find another doctor out there and just show them what I give you and then talk to them about it. Absolutely. Well, and this is where it's so useful, even just to like, if you can afford a consultation, right? Like if you're early stage diagnosis and you're not sure that you're being listened to, you could schedule a consultation to see you take that information and bring it to another doctor and say, here are all the tests that I need. Here are all the things I want to look into and, and really work the system that way in that sense, right? Yeah, you can do that. But I mean, a lot of doctors will probably dismiss it too, or they don't have time to listen to all the paperwork you're about to show them. That's so true. 
um, what I was, I mean, I always ask um, patients, you know, you can either um, keep seeing the doctor getting the same treatment, or you can come see me pay out of pocket um, and get something different and potentially yeah. get off your medications and heal. And you've, you are off medications for the spondyloarthritis. I, I am off medications. Um, I do get some pain here and there, but mm. that's stress. If I eat some processed food, that comes back a little bit, but nothing like the way I mm. suffered back then. And yeah. um, I do have patients on in remission off medications as well. It's very possible. It's amazing. Are you also hoping that the model that you are creating and, and building right now is one that perhaps the for-profit interests in the healthcare system might eventually take note of and work to change their approaches so that they can better serve patients? Yeah, I mean, that's a hope. Um, and I am a pioneer in the space in rheumatology because no one has really combined integrated medicine, functional medicine, and lifestyle medicine. Um, yeah. But I, I don't see it happening because uh, if patients are using that kind of care and they get better, What? why would insurances, the, the pharmaceutical companies won't be able to profit off your medications because these medications that patients in rheumatology are using, um, they cost thousands of dollars um, usually. And so- yeah. The insurance companies, they, 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 they want patients that are not too sick, um, but are sick enough where they need insurances as well. So it's, it's yeah. a game uh, prof, for profit game, unfortunately. But I do mean, we have to disassemble it? Like, do we have to sort of burn it down to the ground, this whole for-profit interest? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's hard because, you know, the for-profit side, um, it's a double-edged sword you it feels research right most of the mm. research for meds they're coming out from the united states you know it's the um the shareholders um are getting from it and the pharmaceutical companies once the shares go up um everyone's happy so it's it, the money drives research it's capital yeah. um, but we also see real um real disconnects, don't we, between the funding that goes into, say, AIDS research versus MECFS research, for example, right? You know, like we see these massive differences in what dollars are allocated, and that comes to a political level as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's political, but I mean, it's, it's hard. There's, I don't think there's a perfect system. Um, mm. If you look at the Canada, UK, um, yeah, it's not... Um, insurance companies aren't really in play um it's more of the government but at the same time you, you have cancer you have something you're gonna wait sometimes months to see a doctor whereas mm. here you can see the doctor quicker so i mean it's 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 not a perfect system that we're in but at least it sort of works in a way um and maybe universal basic income is the is the solution because then people would have the money to actually fund their health care possibly yeah mm. um, and then if you want something special you can go see doctors like me that are outside the system yeah um, but you're I mean, also in the system because as you say you're like calling for tests that are covered by insurance too so like yeah you're exactly. you're, you're dancing with the system you're just paying for my time that's all yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, functional medicine, integrated medicine, they are at universities. Mm. Um, they're just not all in one doctor, like the way I'm trying to do it. <laughs> yeah. Different. Well, and hopefully you'll be able to train the doctors of the future as well in your own way and mm -hmm. and really get the medical community to understand what needs to be addressed here and how we need to change our approaches in medical training. Yeah. I mean, I, I am um, part of the academic system in a way because I am giving a talk to uh, UC Irvine. The oh, amazing. Well, that's, a, that's a huge medical school. Yeah. 
um, Loma University, I trained there. I gave a talk on this um, before I graduated. I am an associate professor at a medical school in um, Southern California. So this in a way, helpful. I'm trying to dance um, in this whole situation where I, I am doing integrative. I'm doing something that's not um, traditional. Um, but at the same time, I do want to be um, updated with the traditional system. I do want to have the respect because, you know, the integrative side, sometimes doctors will call them quacks because it's sort of crazy yeah. what they're doing. So I'm, I'm in the middle. I, I believe that you can heal naturally, but I also believe in the power of medications. And really it's up to the patient and their patient goal and the situation and what tools we use in the toolbox. Well, and, and what's wonderful is that if a patient comes to you, you're looking at evidence-based solutions. Exactly. You're looking at science. Exactly. So that's, that's the thing that we can all look toward for answers and that we try to do here on the show too. Yeah. Well, Dr. Yu, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Please share where everyone can find you um, to find yeah. your work. Yeah. So um, uh, my handle is at my autoimmune MD on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. I dance on TikTok. So I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to come out with my YouTube sometime this year. Um, my website's coming out in a couple of weeks from now. I don't know when the show is going live, but um, sometime in February, my website's going to go live with blogs. And mm-hmm. if you want to see me as a patient, just go to my website, uh, www.drlifestyle.org. Uh, that's drlifestyle.org. And um, you can email me there as well. Amazing. Dr. Yu, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. There's so much more I want to know. Um, and I, I'm just so thrilled that our community has doctors like you who are responding to the needs that we have so directly. And um, I wish you the best of luck in your own continued healing and remission from spondyloarthritis. And I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm a bit bowled over. I'm a bit overwhelmed, which doesn't often happen to me that I end up speechless. So uh, all I can say is thank you so much for all you do for the Spoonie community. And we're so excited to have you as one of us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having this podcast, for being a voice uh, for patients like me. And mm. um, just to be able to bring on experts and you know, patients onto the show to really show people that they're not alone. And also for supporting me, having the Spoonie community supporting me as well, that means a lot um, to show that, you know, what I'm doing is worth it. Absolutely. I am so happy you're here. (laughs) That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.